Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acton, Acton, and welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk Inside the Archives. We're blowing the dust off some of our best old episodes to reshare with you all. This episode is from when Al and I met up with the lead singer of ACDC, the absolutely brilliant Brian Johnson. <laughs> Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And this is our second... Uh, I mean, this is this is quite fantastic that we are, again, talking to um, the legend that is Brian Johnson, um, who whose family history and family uh, interest in the Second World War is basically... Well, we could talk about this forever. So here we are with part two... Uh, welcome back, Brian. Ah, it's good to be here. So, I mean, it's good to still be here. I just want to. I just want to. I just want to. I, I, I would just paint the picture for those listening at home. We're in a we're in a, a beautiful townhouse in uh, central London by the River Thames. Traffic going by the old helicopter because they have to fly over the river. And Brian is clutching a notepad with a list of questions for James Holland. Um, uh, in in part one, if you listen to it, we covered. Uh, Brian's own experience in the Territorial Parachute Regiment. Um, Amazing stuff. W- well, and I went. I remember going to see my dad jump out of balloons in the, uh, early, yeah, yeah. In the early 70s. Uh, that whole thing, the bloke going, we're just going to let a gentle breeze in now. And they go, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, do you know what? My, my, my just-turned-13-year-old daughter, Daisy, she is absolutely desperate to parachute. And really? she's seriously yeah. thinking about... She can't decide whether she wants to be a farmer or whether she wants to join the parachute regiment and become a red Join devil. the parachute regiment. Yeah, yeah. Well, Milk that's the cows, Leonard. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think you're right, and I think she might. But 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 I have sworn, I've sworn solemnly that on her 16th birthday we will do a jump together. Oh, and, and, and good she's, she's wanted you. to do this since she's about six, and nothing has changed in the intervening uh, years. And now it's getting quite close. So we've only got three years well, to go. Well, right. well, it's like me this year. I get to fly in the Spitfire. Oh, are you? Day. You're finally doing yeah, it? Well, uh, yeah. Me, I bought it for us like three years oh, ago, and every time, you know, something's happened. Oh, it's great! Oh, it's amazing. So it is amazing. You're a real treat. Kind of weird. You know, nothing is so it. You, you will not be disappointed. It's one of those no. things where you think, oh, is it going to be as good as it's cracked out to be? Yes. 
Last time, just important things come up. You know, last time it was I had to rearrange my fridge magnets. That was a hell of a thing. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, Brian, w- w- we, we covered your father joining yes. up, going to yeah. North Africa, his abortive, his abortive trip home. Um, at, at, but where do you want to start today? You, we, again, you're like well, say, you've got it's your just, you know, the, the, you know, the boys on the ground had it... Uh, really bad they were tough they were great i loved them and all that but the but the air force uh i think there was a man called cunningham that you oh, yeah quite really thought he was the guy and uh, if this is true what he, i mean what he did was with with the aircraft he had and let's face it here we'll go again can we have spitfires no 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 we're, we're gonna send some <laughs> Some rubbish Some old hurricanes. Old, old hurricanes. Yep. With, oh, and by the way, we'll fix this big hunk on the front. That'll slow them down just a bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, because we haven't quite got... And it just went on and on and... Uh, Blenheims, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know and well, because bow fighters, which obviously developed from Blenheims, were absolutely yeah. the business. I mean, uh, there was... Bow fighters were one of my favourite uh, Yeah, but bow fighters, the mosquitoes. My yep. dad's favourite plane in the whole wild, whole wide world... And the war was the P thirty eight. Oh yeah, the lightning. Because he was stuck in Sicily, was mm. it? Mm. I can't remember. There were lots of lightnings. They up were Sicily. just stuck there, and they just didn't want to. You know that well, they were pressed down by the Germans. And this yep. this squadron came in, and unusually, you know, there was an old saying in the Second World War when the Luftwaffe come over. You know, we've all heard it. You know, we duck when the American Air Force come. Everybody freaking ducks. <laughs> you know, and and me dad said these guys were brilliant. They just came and strafed the yeah, shit yeah. out of this and they saved my life. And that was his favourite. And you know, but the thing about the Spitfire, it just got better and better and better and better. Yeah. It really. But you know the. The the one I wanted to tell you, you know, because I know you've done a brilliant book on, the, uh, you know, on the Battle of Britain and all that. But there was a plane called the Bolton Paul Defiant. <laughs> oh. Now, you know, now, now the way I get the story is, right, chaps, don't put any guns on the front of it. We thought, said, we'll put a big fucking turret on the back. <laughs> with four guns on. And maybe we can fool them to come in. What the fuck are you talking about? It's half the speed of a 109, but don't worry about that, because they're not now what you are. <laughs> and, uh, and so we'll send, we'll send them to a small... I think the first one was... Like, we'll go over to France and bomb some docks or something. I think three came back. Yeah, yeah, the Defiance to, and the Fairy Battles. They were the yes, two total the f- dogs. I mean, they just, they just it, didn't work. How the exams to get in? Well, it, it's strange, isn't it? Because because the, they're, they're, all, they're all Merlin engine, aren't yep, they? Yep. So there's obviously someone's decided we've got this brilliant engine and, uh, and it's performing well on single-engine yeah. fast fighters and they stick it on planes that are only going to end up slower. It's It's... But you know, every time I hear it, well, there's only t- you know, there's only ten ten were shot down. No, no, that's twenty guys. Yeah, yeah. that's twenty men, twenty yeah. young men who you trained up and spent you know at least minimum of nine months training. Well, how will we fix this? Well, let's send another twelve, shall we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And off the go, 
And the only time they stopped using them, and there was no more pilots left, and nobody would get in them. You know, I'm not getting in them. I mean, those bomber crews the, the, uh, in 1940, the battle crews in particular, inc- at least incredibly brave, because it's, oh, it's just endless. It's suicide mission after suicide mm. mission. And, I mean, does that like you say, how do you get these people to get in their, no. in their planes? I, I, absolutely. And brave, brave men. I'm just, you know, people say, oh, it's uh, LMF. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, moral yeah. fiber. I would say, lucky motherfucker. That's what I would say. <laughs> you can fucking, you know. at least he's out of you know. But, but Brian, let me let me <laughs> let me just say, say. But I mean, you talk about the more positive thing because um, you, you're right about Cunningham. So, so for yeah. those who don't know, what happens is is Tedder, who has been at the Air Ministry, Air, Air Chief Marshal Zoroff Tedder, has been at the Air Ministry yes. up until the middle of 1941. Then he's sent over to become. Air Officer Commanding, AOC, uh-huh. RAF, Middle East. Aye. Uh, and about a month later, I think he goes over in July 1941. Yes. A month later or, or so, early September, um, Air Vice Marshal Arthur Cunningham goes over. And he's, he's had a bomber group, actually, in, yeah. in the UK. But he's been a fighter pilot in the First World War. He's done all sorts of pioneering routes um, and, and flying and, and stuff in the, in the 1920s and 1930s. And he's actually, he's, he's Australian-born. His father was yep. a test cricketer and a complete rogue who went to prison. Uh, and they emigrated to New Zealand. And so he, he started being called Maori um, Cunningham. And then it kind of changed to Mary. And uh, it's really funny because Mary Cunningham, as he was always known, uh, actually quite liked the nickname. Uh, um, but he was this big, beefy guy with big, hairy forearms and, uh, and you know, charisma that filled a room. And, and you know, he's yeah. totally macho... Alpha male type, but like being called Mary. Uh, but but don't hold it against him because no, he no. and Tedder got together and they realised that actually what they needed to do was completely rethink how how air air power can support directly ground troops. Yeah. Because in the 1930s, you've got the RAF all developing mm-hmm. into these what we would call a strategic air force. So you've got Bomber Command, which operates on its own. You've got yes. Fighter Command, which operates on its own. You've got Coastal Command, mm-hmm. all operates on its own. And they hadn't really given too much thought to how you support ground troops. So they had the advanced air striking force and things in France in 1940. But they hadn't kind of worked out any specific doctrine for it or anything yeah. like that. So... It's not until that summer of 1941, autumn of 1941, when Tedder and Cunningham get together that they start to really kind of work it out. And one of the big things that they absolutely insist upon is that they decide the targets. Uh So the army says, we'd really like you to take out that that, that tank concentration of tanks, Uh which is just over the other ridge, if you want. And they'll say... Okay, we might do, we might not, because there might be a whole load of other targets mm-hmm. 20 miles behind the enemy lines that need dealing with first, which is more important. Right. But they also organise the whole structure of it and how they operate and how they administer it. And one of the innovations that Cunningham says is my Desert Air Force, which is what he's in command of, yeah. should have its headquarters next door to 8th Army's headquarters. And everyone goes, oh, I never thought of that before. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's actually a really good idea. But Orkinlek doesn't do it. He says, no, I don't think that's, that's necessary. And it's not until Montgomery takes over in the middle <coughs> of August yeah. and Alexander comes in in August 1942 as commander of the Middle East that they go, okay, yeah, actually, that is a really good idea. But in that intervening time, at the fall of Tobruk on, on uh, June the 21st, 1942... Yeah. Through to the retreat to the Alamein line and the battles of that, which I think start yeah. around the kind of 4th, 5th of July, something like that. In that two-week period, yeah. is the Desert Air Force that saves 8th Army from annihilation. Yes. As they're streaming back 
what happens is because of this new organization of where they sit, they have this kind of leapfrogging system where you have lots of little landing grounds. Yep. And what happens is, you know, Johnny in his, in his 112 Shark Squadron takes off, all the ground crew then bugger off back to the next landing ground yep. 10 miles further uh-huh. back. And when they finish hammering the Italians and the Germans, 112 Squadron then goes back to the next airfield. And yep. what that means is you, you can increase yeah. your combat, your time over the combat zone. And you can just hammer the um, the the, uh, the Panzer Army Rommel's mob mm-hmm. all the time, and then at night you've got bombers, you've got your Wellingtons and your mm-hmm. you know your Beauforts and all the rest of it, and Mitchells. They're all coming over and hammering them as well, and it completely slows them up. And it means that Eighth Army can retreat back to the Alamein line and yeah. get there and regain their balance, and they never go backwards again. Brilliant. Ever. I mean, that's brilliant in the way you described it. But also in your book, you did say yeah. that the Americans didn't take a lesson from that. Well, they do eventually. They did eventually, but yeah. when the first battles, they yeah. got a right tatering. You know, yeah. they got a right pasting. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that, you know, because they should have learned, of course, innovative things like that. Yeah. You know, you, you know the, like the Germans would have jumped all over that. Right? This is standard order. We all do it. Every commander must pay attention. And you're right, in the early days, it was tough for us. There was different countries, different... You know, uh, all but you, you see them in that in that summer of 1942 is when the, when they start to get their shit yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. That is, you know, and it, it's no coincidence that that is the last time they yeah. retreat. You know, from then on, the British Army has an absolute point of never retreating. Yeah, and because also retreat is costly yeah. and it, and it damages morale. Because if you've just fought and you've lost all your mates yeah. fighting that, and then all you're going to do is pull back again. Yeah, you know, know. It's, it's it's not great. So that's another reason. But what you do see over Tunisia is suddenly Cunningham takes over as the, as the North African Tactical Air yeah. Force commander. Yeah. And his number two is a guy called Larry Cuter, who's an American. Yeah. And he just totally gets it. Yeah. And he then writes the post-war United States Air Force doctrine. doctrine uh, and that is all origin, you know, the yeah. origin of that goes back yeah. to Mary Cunningham in the summer of 1942. And, you know, you're saying getting all together, it, it, you know, the, the, the posts and all that, but you did write this great bit about this American commander, this general enough can't bloody remember his name, who was busy digging an underground oh, command. Oh, Friedendorf. Friedendorf. He yeah, was, that's the, he was useless. Yes, well. <laughs> he was absolutely <laughs> awful. He, he had about, how would it work? He must have had a hundred men. Oh. I mean, you couldn't just go, you know, because this was rocky, he wanted a whole... You couldn't make it up. You no. couldn't make it up. He was so shit, it wasn't true. But but they got rid of him, you know, yeah. and... and Again, you know, in, in Tunisia, you see Patton, you see Bradley, you know, you see some of these um, um, Truscott, some of these, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're all coming to the fore at this time uh, and starting to kind of uh, isn't get it, tested in battle. Yeah, isn't it true that Napoleon did say, he said, I don't care how good or bad my generals are, just give me lucky ones. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give me your lucky general. But you sort of make your own luck, don't you? Of course you do. You know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, it's, it's the same old thing. And, uh, you know, somebody told me, I'm sorry to jump from there, but it was war movies. And oh, now you guys. We love talking about war movies. Somebody said, yeah. you hate war movies. Well, <laughs> lads, there's one scene in the Dam Busters yeah. that I think is the greatest scene in any war movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's just a bit before they get in the planes. It's silent. There's no music. And just noises like doors opening. And it's tense. And it's good, you know, and it's just as they're getting in and they're, they're sitting down, it's just noises like, you know, 
that nobody says a word. Yeah. Which is exactly probably how it would have yeah, been. Yeah, it's brilliant. That scene in particular is, is brilliant. Yeah. And I think the scene right at the end where he says, right, I've got to go write some letters now. Yeah. Where, where the film it's says that's the cost and, and, and it's really poignant. And I, I, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I think that those moments in, that, in, the, uh, in the Dan Busters, they're just brilliant. They're brilliantly handled. And the freaking music, and I know the name of the guy, and I've forgotten it again because that's what happens when you're old and deaf. Uh, I can't remember his name. Eric either. Coates wrote the Dan Eric Busters Coates. March. <laughs> just absolutely Stunning. Well, I mean, everyone loves a damn. So, damn so, sorry, I jumped straight no, 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 that no, because no, I, that's, that's what we're here for. So after 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 Sicily, your dad did he then go in, into Italy? <coughs> Hold on yes. a minute. Can I just ask, ask one yeah. thing, you, Brian? Do you, do you know which battalion your dad was in? Oh, I, I don't. Because I, I, I reckon if he was in, I reckon if he was in Sicily, he must have been in the sixth, eighth, or ninth. My dad's, uh, my brother Morris has his pair book, which means he would have so, been in Primasoli Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. All I know is, we got me. Me daughter Joanne went after he died. Now, like she found all his diaries, and wow. it was all these t- no. terrible, sad things. And it just went uh, sent uh, Chalky and uh, Billy over to uh, you know just check out the thing. Uh, next day, Chalky and Billy haven't returned yet. Feel bad. Found Chalky and Billy bullets in the back of the head. Oh, God. You know, and and it was just you know the, the, uh, didn't want it, uh, the, and it was awful. And there's another one going, moving on tomorrow. No more Lola in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You dirty old bugger. He, he must have been. He must have been given the Lola one. You know, on a regular basis. That's and, amazing. Uh, and it was just these lovely little. You know, he wasn't. I said he was not a. a, a he, he, he wasn't a very loving man. He was. He was a, that's not fair to say. He austere. was loving. He was, he was. Yeah. He was just a straight shooter, yeah. and he just uh, loved to, uh, you know, just to, you know. He was proud of what his, his sons did and all that, and he was proud of the army and all that. I remember I had a vicious fight with him once. It was about two years before he died, and we were talking about something. And I said, "Geez, Dad, well, we were talking about Dieppe or something." And he went, oh, "I was a great, great, one of the greatest victories we ever had." I said, "Dad, what are you talking about?" I said, "It was a friggin' mess." I said, "It was, it was a tragedy. It was a cock up of monumental proportions." And he went, "Wait, wait, wait you weren't there, Dad." We did what we're supposed to do. That's the trouble with you, young man. You just, you know, I said, no, Dad, no, no. That, it was like 6,000 Canadian dead or something like that, you know, prisoners. It was a total catastrophe. Well, bugger you and your mudden finger. You weren't there. But it, and, and he stormed off to the bedroom and I just went. So the next day I said, Dad, and I got, you know, all the old footage I could find on video of it. And interviews with Mountbatten and all of that, and he just wouldn't watch it. He just wouldn't watch it. He said, "I don't want to see it." He wouldn't. Wow. He, he, you know, he just wouldn't be turned. Yeah. So yeah as yeah. far as he was told, that uh, that Dieppe had it wasn't a success, but it had done what it set out to do to test the yeah the city. yeah. But he was he would have probably. I don't want to put thoughts into it. it Give him thoughts that I don't know right. are true, but but I suspect what might have happened is that for him he probably felt 
Okay, so Sicily, when it came, was actually pretty successful. Yes. Uh, and and we'd learned some lessons from Dieppe, so that sacrifice wasn't for anything. Well, yeah, but and it's, it's still an awful lot. It was a lot, yeah. yeah it was, and it was, you and I know it was a yeah. complete fiasco. But, well, but, but, uh, but I'm thinking from his point, his perspective, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Well, from Sicily, he went to the... Uh, he landed at Natuno, yep. next to the Anzio. And we have a friend in America, mm. Billy Kelly... He painted these part of US Fifth Corps. paintings, and his father was in Anzio. So now we call ourselves the Sons of Anzio. That's it's what club was. Awesome. Whiskey, like a good band name. Yeah, at five thirty every night, old fashioned. Oh, to drink to the, uh, that's fantastic. To, uh, the that's Sons of Anzio. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Have you ever been there? Oh uh, yes. Uh, well, I'll never forget me dad. I said he was not a. You know, a man for tears or anything, and and he said, and we took him there, and he wanted to go to the graveyard at Natuno. And so I went, and you know, as I said, my father spoke Italian to my mother all his life. There was no English spoken in our house. And he uh, went to the guy on the gate who spoke perfect English as well. He, he, my dad just went, you know, private thing, a corporal, and a few, you know, and he put his names. And he said, "See, si, senor, uh, you know, start, you know, turn left, and it's number four. And he gave him a little map, and my dad went, thank you. And my dad marched off, you know, and and he, you could see he was just, you know, he's gone through the the stones, and and me and my brother Morris were going, oh, you know, we're really feeling this. And he stopped, you know, and turned still get choked up thinking about it, and yeah. he bowed his head, and he wouldn't move. And and, and these were his pals. Yeah, yeah. These were his pals. Uh, that good killed you. And, uh, and he marched back, and he said, I need a whiskey. And I said, good friends, Dad. And he went, good men. That's all he said. God. And marched past. And I just went, God, no, but you say I can't even share mm, that, because we yeah. would never get anything. The feeling like that, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. And what makes me sick these days is when people, and they're warriors. You know, he's a milkman, isn't he? Yeah, I know, but he's, he delivered the milk through the COVID thing. He's a warrior. Yeah, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> 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 it's so easily used, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, they, those lads, you know, yeah. We don't even know because half of them won't tell you. If you see an interview on television, I'm sure, James, you've done some of them with these old lads who probably haven't talked about it all their life, but they're now in their 80s, early 90s, and they want to, one last time, please yep. tell us what happened. And you see and you watch them and they talk and, and, you know, they all know the heroes died. You know, the ones that died were the heroes. They just were lucky enough to... That's what they think. Yeah. And then at the end of these things, you always just see the eyes. Mm. You know, when they think back to them young faces that were just the pals back then yeah. and they were just snuffed out just like that. It's The thing I always think is when I was 19, I was off to uni, oh, I was chasing yeah. girls crashing uh-huh. my dad's new car totally feckless um, you know totally feckless uh-huh. good 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 for nothing really and uh-huh. and never had any of those kind of demands made of me and i and that's no. the other thing when you see these old boys and you think yeah yeah god i had it easy yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, how yeah. lucky am i to yeah have completely not had to experience anything i mean i remember last year at the um at the, at the d-day 75th and uh it was there at, at bio at the cemetery oh, i wish and, I'd we, been and we'd, we'd 
we'd done all the kind of the chit chat and stuff and all the crowds were dispersing and stuff and I and I went into the into the cemetery and there was an old guy and I got hailed by the guy who was pushing the wheelchair and we got we got chatting and the old guy with his medals yeah. and everything and um and he said uh so I've just found a, a a grave of a mate of mine lad who he said I haven't seen it since you know I've never seen it before but but this lad he said he was um he was only 20 years old and uh and he said I remember it really really well what happened because um he said he, we, we were in the we were in it was in Normandy and, and he just suddenly we'd be mortared and mortared and mortared. He said the mortars were just coming over and he suddenly he just lost it and he stood up and he yelled at the Germans and ran towards them and they cut him down. He said oh, he just had enough. God. And then we got chatting, and he said, um, and uh, he said, uh, I'm going to be a hundred in November. And. And I said, well, congratulations. I said, you know, you look amazing for it and I hope you, I hope you make it all right and all the rest of it. <laughs> and then it was this, just this weird silence where I knew we were all, everyone there, there was like four of us, we were all, including this old boy, we were all uh, thinking the same thing. He'd had an extra 75 years. Uh, uh, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it, that these guys got through, but it's sad, you know. Oh, that it's awful. It never leaves I felt them. really choked. I really yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, no, I kind of wander off. It never leaves them all their life, you know, through their young life, you know, having their babies and getting them nights where they sit. And they can't, but they're just not as demonstrative as today's people, you know. But yeah. most soldiers, even the soldiers in the army, I know a lot of the guys, a lot of them special forces and things, and just very, very, you know, pretty secretive or quiet about yeah. what they do. Because they don't want to brag about the fact that, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, defending us in a... T- Sometimes it takes dirty shit to do yeah, it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Peace isn't cheap. Yeah. Yep. So we've got to get these boys to gun out and do it for us, you know. Okay, we're going to take a break now. We'll see you in a tick. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Try Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost, built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime, incredible load times, and 24-7 WordPress priority support, your sites will be lightning fast with global reach. And with Bluehost Cloud, your sites can handle surges in traffic no matter how big. Plus, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. Get started now at Bluehost.com. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Brian, you, you, uh, you've alluded to it several times. Your, your dad speaking Italian, only Italian spoken in your yeah, house. So, so is this, how, how on earth did that happen? Is it, well, it, you know, I mean, it's not Lola in the afternoon, is it? No, Someone no, else. Lola in the afternoon, Lola, he was fucking good. It could have been. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, my mother fell in love uh, with Esther Maria Ottavia Taluca. Amazing. And she was uh, engaged to uh, a veterinary surgeon that the whole family, you know, of this, uh, well, veterinary surgeons, the new doctors, you know, they the had uh, drug stores, you know, chemist shops, if we call them, yeah. Um, and they had all the horses the, from the uh, Italian Olympic teams, dressage, show jumping, you know, and it was all the whole Castilla Rosita. There's a big walled compound. There's peacocks in there to this day. And all the daughters who get married, they don't go anywhere. They just build a house in the compound. It's like freaking Kennedy's. And my mom had the temerity to fall in love, you know, with an English soldier. And all her sisters, an English soldier, but they look like shite. They look like a bag of teddies, you know, the uniforms. I mean, they didn't say that. They said in Italian, it sounds better. <laughs> you know, everything does. You know. And uh, so, you know, they said, "What do you know about American? Look at the American. They're fucking smart as a butcher's dog. Now, he's and they have better he's, teeth. But yeah, they've got better teeth. They're tanned, they're tall, and they've got some coin. But she did look. She had, there's something about me that she kept going in. And, um, and they got married um, in Italy. And uh, was it Umbria? Yeah. And it was funny because the story was, you know, my dad was Church of England. And of course, my mom was very, very Catholic. How could you not be? You know? And um, and my dad said, okay, I'll turn Catholic for you. So my old man goes to these lessons with a priest. You know, when they're going, you know, the teacher, the, the you know, and, and Christ come off the cross, had a fag, 
and then went back up again, and, you know, because he was, and then he had a cup of tea, and, you know, and all of this, so you learn all his history, and, uh, and somebody speared him for not having enough fags to go around, whatever, you know, and so, and he learned, and he went to the church that day, uh, and, and he was, you know, my ma's family were there, and they were going, oh, shit, let me go then. And my dad was, had to kneel down in the thing, and he was just waiting, you know, the priest, and, and the padre walked in, the captain. He went, John <laughs> Screamed down this church, and my old mom went, Tension! Because my old mom, you know, just, yeah. This guy just walked up, he said, How dare you steal one of my flock? My old man said, your flock, he said. I'm seeing you since North Africa. <laughs> you just pop up here, you know. Um, and uh, of course, and then the two of them went at it. The priest said, and my dad looked at him and he said, "Good, my ass," and just walked out. And he said to me, "Mark, come on, get out of here." And they ran away. And I got married the other side. You know, it was full wedding dress and everything. How amazing. Incredible. That's so romantic. Yeah. And, but even at the end when he was dying, the old man, this vicar come into the, to the room and he's got, would you like to give me a, you know, a few words? And the old man was, he couldn't talk because he had a stroke. He was going, no, no. And we had a system. One squeeze for yes, two squeeze for no. He nearly broke my frigging hand. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, I think you better leave now. Because my old, my old man, after being through the war, he knew there was no good. He just knew. And he just went, son, was skin and bone. And flesh and bone. That's, that's, he'd say that all through his life, for flesh and bone. And that's it. End of story. You know, if you want to believe something else, that's up you. But keep it to yourself. Wow. And Amazing. he was just, Amazing. he was one of them. And he was a, a man of few words, but... Made him count. Uh, oh, he was just... Uh, I, I wish I could remember my story, but, uh, you know, he's just a lovely man. I miss him. I miss him, you know? Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, but... But what about your mum? Me mum? Your mama. Uh, oh, she was good. She came over and she just didn't know what to do over here. But me mum's story is fascinating. Me mum used to sit us... We say, mum, what was it like in Italy? And it was, wasn't a great... She went, oh, it was a very good son because, uh, you know, your grandfather, me grandfather was called Achilles. I get that. Um, that was his yeah. name, Achilles. And, um, and it, uh, he grew, he had olive oil and wine things and stuff like that. That was his deal. He wasn't of the family. But anyway, my mother used to sit and go, he died very young because of the pneumonia, you know. He had the pneumonia. <laughs> and, but before he died, look at me and he would say, you are my little twinkle star in the sky. And I began, oh, ma, look at you. And she went, that's good. So, three years ago, we're going on, and there's a big family reunion, which I couldn't get to. I think I was rearranging me frigid magnets again. <laughs> and, um, and ever there. And Andrea, one of the cousins, came up to my eldest daughter and said, Joanne, I have to tell you something. It's, it, you know, We've been lying to you all these years. And Joanne's going, what, what about, about Estherina's father, my great-grandfather? He said, uh, it, it's the three boys in the family, my mum's brothers, were all fascisti, black shirts. 
I mean, they thought Mussolini was the greatest thing, you know, anyway. And uh, a lot of people did. And yeah. They were real fascisty, and now carrying these teeny little pistols, you know, with yeah, a yeah. black thing and all of that. And the fancy uniforms. Fancy uniforms. Uh, Achille had gone to America to make his fortune with his olive oil and his things. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. He came back embittered and a bit of a drunk, you know. And he started beating his wife, uh, Nona. And the sons had warned him. And they said, don't do this again, you know, because... And then one day, the youngest one came in and he was just doing this. And he walked up and just shot him in the back of the head. Killed him dead. That's the truth of the thing. So oh, Wow. God. I that, wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I know. Then at the end of the night, later on, about two or three hours later, a black car came with three uh, fascisti black shirts in it. Got him, said, get your bag, get whatever you got. Took him down to the docks, put him on a ship, and they sailed him to South Africa. And I think he died in 1972. And Andrea, his daughter, just said, we... We have to tell you, it's just you know. Whoa. And she started crying, and me daughter again. Fucking wow! You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about a bombshell. But you know, that was that was before the war. Yeah, know, yeah obviously yeah. that was before the war. But during the war, that compound was you know, mom went down and worked as a stenographer in the German uh, headquarters. Yeah, and she took because that's where the Kasserine's headquarters was just was in that Frascati area. Yeah, and so she would she would get any little bits of information and pass it on to the underground and all that. No, but her farm, wow. her farm under the chicken run, unbeknownst to the brothers, this was the women who did it. That there was a hide where they'd put all the downed, uh, you know, the, the underground would bring all the downed pilots and hide them under there for a couple of days. And then from there, How they would march them either up to, uh, to, to Switzerland, you yeah. know, to, to get out of Tunin. And, and it, it was a fast... And I was going, geez, my, these guys were busy, weren't you? And she said, oh, it was fun. There's some, there's some very nice pilots. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Uh, English men are very polite. Very polite, wow. you know, oh, nice. um, and so you know all these lovely stories that you grow with. That you know, you just went ah, bollocks, you know. I mean, but the the more information from the cousins is because we're still in touch, a very close family, and, and it's uh, and it it happened to them. It was nothing because Italy was just still a kind of fun place. You know, people were just, you know, the Germans are ah, right. Who gives a shit? You know, yeah. Just you know, they're, they're still going to eat with pasta. You know, the restaurants were still full, you know. Well, that was the big beef of the Germans. That, that, you know, the Italians were constantly saying, oh, we need this, we haven't got enough of that, we haven't got this. But every time they went to Rome, everyone was having an absolute party. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Frascati was yeah. the least of it. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, it was beautiful. And, of course, up there as well, uh, the Wallace and Simpson yeah. lived in Frascati too. Did they? Absolutely. They had a beautiful house there, uh, just down from the family house. Beautiful, stunning place. That's, oh, that's where that. the world. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Wow. But I mean, I've, you know, when I, I was doing a, a when I did my book on Italy, that. hang on, James. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I got a double eighteen there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, remember, I just remember talking to partisans one day, you know, former partisans, and then you'd be talking to former fascists the next day. Yep. And what was amazing about them was they were exactly the same. You know, they're uh, all, you know, they laugh their heads off, yeah. moan, um, start gesticulating wildly. And Both that, of them all, all very charming, all very hospitable. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. you just felt they were... I mean, the, 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 in, in many ways, sort of a lot of the differences probably. I mean, they, obviously, they were seen quite great at the time, but but was it not that? But that the, great? The, the Italian prisoners themselves you were just couldn't be bothered, you know. No. And I thought this war would last maybe a couple of weeks, but bollocks to this, you know. I'm, I'm missing me food, yeah, you know. And then the Germans treated them, you know, with pretty much contempt and all of that, which you know. And they went out in some, you know, a bit like the British, in some nasty, you know, aeromachy, you know, some of them aircraft, you know, they were pretty dodgy. Well, they weren't dodgy, they were fantastic in 1933, you know, when they first went yeah. out there, you know. But as the years went on, you know, governments get lazy and go, no, no, you've got some, you know, but, but we need new ones. Whew, you know, we'll see, we'll see what we've got, you know. It's the way of the world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Italians were broke. Is the yeah, they were broke they're, before it all started. That's the truth of it. And, they, yeah. and 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 you know they were they had quite a modern army if you're taking on the Abyssinians, but they haven't got a modern army if you're yeah. taking on the Brits. And yeah. you told me if you, well, well, you didn't tell me. I read it in your book. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've met you, listen to me. Oh, yeah, James told me once. You know what? <laughs> no, but I know uh, how you uh, feel. The, the general. <laughs> You know, you know, the general, uh, the Italian general, who said no, Mussolini, you know, listen, was he Graziani? Or, uh, Graziani, uh, yeah. You know, you can, Rodolfo. Yeah, there's just nothing, we, you know, we're kind of, and, and here was this man, he was almost Trump-like, wasn't he? El Duce. Oh, but very, know, very uh, similar, uh, yeah. You know, we got, in, in, in fact, the two of them, he, a, a, a very erratic Kept changing his mind, you know. Well, yeah. well, we're not gone. Well, we're gone. Am I going to be left behind mm. by the Allies? And also just by, by the Germans, because I need a bit of this as well, mm. you know. Yeah. And all he got was basically, you know, the slag heap. You know, Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, we went into there. You know, the Germans were taking this land with, you know, fabulous, you know, you know, oil and all of this kind of. Sh- I'm sure the Afghans have got oil somewhere. Just haven't friggin' found it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Am I getting political? (laughs) Only a little, but you know that's fine. That's all right. We can cope cope with that. So, so Brian, your dad's your dad. When was it? When were they married? In 1945. So once the war had ended, or Uh, yes, at the end. I think was it was it 45 early 46. I think it was 45. Yeah, the end of 40. So he was part of the sort of um, post-war reconstruction effort. You said uh, well, well, yes, he 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 was, and I remember uh, one of his pals at the Dunstan Social Club said, uh, you know, it was if you did stay on. You know, you, you got, you, you know, you got. I think you got a little bit extra money as yeah. well because everybody wanted to get home. You know, everybody after thought, just send me home. But my dad liked Italy, you know, um, and uh, and it was all shit. The food was nice, but you know, there wasn't much there. But Rome was in a mess. You know, the, it was. The Germans did leave it. You know, pretty much. You know, without. You know, when uh, I forgot the name of the general who was in charge of him, but he did uh, disobey orders when they said right level it. He went, I'm, 
I'm going to put my name down to that, you know, mm. level in mm. the greatest city in the world. And, and, uh, but uh, the food and the supplies and yeah. you know, everything, it had uh, all broken down. And the German army w- w- was still holding out, you know. I mean, we, we, we never defeated those boys, did we, uh, further up in Italy? Uh, well, no, they did. They, also, they did completely squad. surrender. They did completely surrender on the 2nd of May. It was the first yeah. big surrender of all. But, yeah. but, I mean, the interesting thing about that is... The surrender, the first unconditional surrender of German armies was, yeah. was on the 2nd of May in Italy. Right. But you suddenly got a quarter of a million German troops still armed, and yeah. you've got the 85th US Infantry Division coming uh, up. So yeah. it's like 15,000 men yeah. with all these Germans, and they, you know, they haven't laid down their, their weapons, and it's all a bit tense. Well, that's in, what in I heard. It had. I mean, I would have just heard that with just with some areas. I mean, they had 30,000 troops in Norway that never really surrendered. Didn't mm. that? Was, am I correct there? Or is, well, no, is they, do, they, they do surrender, but they, what, well, what, the, what the they, rem, they send the remnants of 1st Airborne to, um, yeah. to, to wind down. So what's yeah. left of the division from Arnhem is yeah. uh, sent to Norway yeah. to wind down the German army in Norway, yeah. And then 2nd Independent Parachute Brigade, they go to Greece and deal with the... Uh, send all their airborne people all over, but yeah, I mean that. that uh, I mean, Spike Milligan uh, stayed in Italy at yeah. the same time as your father, and and then spent and spent two years entertaining the troops in the, the, yeah, the yeah. trio he was in. Mm-hmm. And his books are all about. I like the I like the weather. I don't really want to go home compared to here. No. I've got a job. Um, and, the f- and the food's nice, and the girls. And he's, uh, yeah. his book, Goodbye Soldier, is all about how he falls yeah. in love with an Italian woman. Yeah, that's right. And, and wants and to stay goes, for her. And he goes for dinner with her. That's in right. In this rooftop restaurant. And he walks, and he's gone, and the roses, and the wine. And, <laughs> yeah. and then in came fucking, you know. Yeah. Maria, she's called. Not, not. Sally, <laughs> Sally, pride of a rep. He's going, oh, God, she's not going to sing, is she? <laughs> <laughs> What's her name again? Uh, uh, Gracie Fields. Gracie Fields. He, he really went, hates Gracie Fields. He went, oh, Gracie Fields. Oh, God, please don't let her sing, please. Because everybody's going, Gracie, Gracie, we love you. <laughs> and... Uh, and I don't know if she did or not. And he said, he just wanted to look at this lovely woman... And, and he just looked at this book. <laughs> I mean, it's awful yeah. to say that, but that was, you know, what she was favorite, famous for, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but but he, he was, you know, he was a very funny man. And another hero, no brave yeah. man. He got all kinds of shit. His ears, he fell off. Yeah. Uh, and he'd had a great one with Harry Seacom. You know, when they were getting in, was, uh, this this gun, the field gun, had fallen off a cliff and he went, oh, fuck, and he ran down to get the cliff. And Harry Seacom was one of the soldiers at the bottom and he, he said, did you see a gun fall down here? And Harry Seacom said, what colour was it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful story. <laughs> and, that's when, and that's when he said... I'll have it. He's brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. like that. You know, what colour was it? <laughs> That's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. So, you know, these friendships and things that started out of this carnage, it was just just wonderful, you know. Well, it, well, Brian, I think, we, we. I mean, we could talk about this literally forever. <laughs> yeah, no, but I feel like we've taken up 
a great deal of your precious time. Thank you so much. Have you got anything else you want to ask, James? No, no, no. I'm just going to say that uh, <laughs> we're, we're next door. They do great scotch eggs oh. and, the, and the cheesy leek pies. Oh, oh they make you want to slap your mother. Now you're talking. <laughs> well, um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And a huge thank you to Brian Johnson for um, inviting us into oh, his home. Guys, it's honestly, it's a real honour to have you. I've enjoyed your podcast and to be part of it is just a dream come true. Well, and I, I, mean grew, I grew up on your music, so it's, yeah, uh, you know, likewise. Yeah, so what, a, what a privilege! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much, everyone. Cheerio, goodbye. Cheerio, uh, cheerio, guys. Achtung, Achtung, welcome to this very special uh, mini edition of We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland in association with Company of Heroes 3. Uh, Jim, I don't know if you're interested in the uh, Allied campaign in Italy at all. I don't know if it's a thing that's crossed your desk. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, uh, I mean, I've got to say, Company of Heroes 3 is is kind of, it, it could have been made specifically for me, it has to be said. You know, the Deutsche Africa Corps in North Africa, um, land, landings and conquest of Sicily, and then before you know it, whoa, there's Italy, and, and we're kind of careering off from out of Salerno to Foggia, and, and, and before you kind of double back to Monte Cassino. So what's not to like, frankly? We've been joined by Steve Mele all the Away from Vancouver, who's executive producer at Relic Entertainment and who created the game. Steve, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you both. Uh, it's great to meet you both. Um, so tell us, you know, uh, how do you pick the campaigns? If if because Company of Heroes is it's a huge game, but uh, massively popular. Um, you can play it on by yourself, or you can play it uh, um, in multiplayer role online and all that sort of stuff. How do you arrive at a campaign to fight? Um, we asked that question of our community right at the outset. Uh, so Company of Heroes 1 was focused on the Normandy invasions. Uh, Company of Heroes 2, we focused on the, the, the Eastern Front. They, they love the variety. They want to see uh, different uh, factions. They want to see the different uh, landscapes and the different ways of playing and give it, giving you variety within that space. And the Mediterranean theater provides that. You've got coastal regions, you've got deserts, you've got mountainous terrain, you know, so we, this this was uh, urban areas. So, you know, this was a, an exciting space for us to, to different views, different gameplay, different factions. Everything was kind of packed in in the Mediterranean theater. And in terms of factions, if you look at we, we call them Duke forces on, on the podcast, Dominions okay. UK Empire. You've got yep. you've got Gurkhas in this game. You've got mm-hmm. as well as Tommies and. Aussies, you've got you've got people from all over the world, and you've also got all the right kit as well, <laughs> which, which, I, which I thought was great. You know, it's fantastic to see Stuart's um, Stuart tanks, and that's what I like because you know I'm, I am a bit of a geek about this stuff, and I want my details to be right. Yeah, so you touched on the um, the, uh, the 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 kit and the 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 authenticity of, of what we're doing yeah, here. Absolutely, um, I wanted to talk. We we had a ton of fun with do it with building that out for our game and, and doing the research and doing the homework within uh, you know the history books and uh, local historians with it that in our neighborhood here and then um, uh, speaking to cultural consultants to ensure that the language we're using is accurate even and 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 the the outfits and the uniforms everything. So we had a ton of fun doing the homework and the research for that we wanted everything to feel authentic that we don't take you out of that immersion and that feeling of the time but occasionally we've made decisions that 
are where someone who does know the exact fact would know that that specific upgrade on that Stuart tank wasn't there in that particular <laughs> battle. It, it shows up next, you know, next year or next month. Uh, and so we have there are fine lines there because we, you know, we're we have an upgrade tree, and so you you're able to upgrade your vehicles or your weapons or your units in your in, 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 within a battle. But so we had this fine line between gameplay authenticity that when you're in there you feel immersed and you're loving it, uh, and you, you you know there's nothing super taking you out of the the experience. But then at the same time there was that accuracy that where occasionally we broke a few uh, rules there um, or, or historical facts just in order to get that gameplay experience through. Well, Steve, I can absolutely tell you that that I think I think most of our listeners will really really enjoy this. It's 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 just got the right level of geekiness to it and detail and facts. And and options and and as as al says the fact that you've got kind of you know gurkhas and what have you as well i think it's absolutely terrific the other thing is even uh, of your listeners your audience if they are new to company of heroes the franchise uh we've added a feature that i think uh, all our players even people who have played it before will enjoy is um the tactical pause and what tactical pause is so for those who don't know, our game is a real-time strategy, and, and you're on the field making decisions, capturing resources in order to fuel your, uh, you know, the, your war machine and get the, building up your, uh, your troops and, and sending them out on the field. It, there's a lot going on. You're, you're looking from a, a above, looking down on the map, making decisions, uh, grabbing you know, your vehicles and your, your units, and you're moving them into uh, to, to places at the same time while the enemy is coming after you and those resources. So with tactical pause, it, it allows you to press the space bar, pause the action, and you can then make all the commands and orders, and it'll show you a nice line of where your units are going to go, where your vehicle is going to go next. And if you want to throw a grenade at the end of that uh, movement, you can, and you toss a grenade, press spacebar again, and the action takes off. And it, it, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a lot going on, so this helps you take stock of the situation. Uh, grab a sandwich if you need to, uh, or, <laughs> and, and, and then send it back into action. Do you see days gobbled up playing this, uh, or are you, are you a man of remarkable self-control? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a, it's a significant campaign, the single player experience is over 40 hours of, of wow. gameplay for players to get into so wow. if you're if, if wow. you know you can spend your time in there and uh and really just get immersed and and uh, there's I, well, I, again i i'm a proponent of video games in general and so i think there's great value in your dollar to have all that time and then that's just the single player experience if you want to continue to play against the the ai we have uh, this you know we've built out this in, intelligent uh you know system in the background for to play against the computer and you can try out different strategies and uh we call that we call that comp stomp because the idea is that you're you know you're stomping on the computer over and over again <laughs> and you can join up with your mates as well and you play two you know you can play one v one one against the computer you can play two v two three v three or if you had four of you you'd come together and just have a laugh and and beat up on the computer and uh it's a ton of fun as well uh well steve i I've, we think it's great we think it's absolutely terrific and it's out now isn't it you can play it play it today on your pc yes you can people interested anyone uh can go check it out at companyofheroes.com it's available on pc and steam if you head there you can find it Fantastic. Terrific. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Steve, and many congratulations.